We are in our last week of this amazing series that we've gone through called Pushing Back the Darkness. And today, um, I'm going to talk about hope. I believe that hope is a tool that we can use to push back the darkness in our lives. Um, but I feel now more than ever, there's a sense of hopelessness. Do you guys feel that? Like, there's a sense that, that there is no, there's like this hopeless vibe that I get from people more and more. Um, and, and I hear it a lot in these phrases. Like sometimes we say these phrases that basically mean, this is it. I've given up on life. Like this is, this is our current reality. Um, a cool thing that's happening in my life is that in nine days, I'm getting to marry the love of my life, Hazel. This has been, it's been amazing, man. What a crazy, what a crazy journey it's been. We've been engaged for nine months now. Um, and we love sharing about our engagements, you know. So I have a ring here uh, because I'm trying to start a trend of guy engagement rings, you know. Because, like, for Hazel, they, they're like, you're engaged. And she's like, yeah, look. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh. And I'm just like, I'm engaged, too. Like, I, you know. So I'm trying to start this trend. Homies who are proposing soon. Come on. Join me, please. All right. So, so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's worth the clap. Um, so most people are really excited, right? Most people are really stoked when they find out that, that we're engaged. But once in a while, we'll get, we'll get the occasional salty person, all right? Now, if you don't know what salty is, it's kind of like bitter, right? But to be, it, bitter is like cynical in nature, whereas salty is a combination of bitter with a hint of jealousy, all right? That's kind of what what bitter is, I mean salty. So there, there'll be the occasional salty person. There was one time we went to uh, 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 this girl, we ran into this girl somewhere and you know, we started talking and she's like, what's new? Well, you know, we got engaged. Um, and you, I thought she was gonna be super stoked, right? And she says, must be nice. <laughs> what? What does that mean? Uh, and she started explaining, she started explaining. She's like, oh, it must be nice to have somebody who loves you. I'm like, oh, okay, it's this kind of situation. Um, and we, you know, we jump in right away and we're like, no, no, like, you'll find somebody, you know, just wait, you know, gotta be patient sometime. God has a plan for your life, you know? We go into the whole thing and then she says this. She's like, no, 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 there's no hope for me. And she says, I guess I'm just gonna be alone forever. I'm like, oh my. We hear these phrases, right? These phrases that basically mean we have given in. We have given in to this current reality that we don't, we don't like it, we know it's wrong, but this is how things are and thing, this is how things are going to be. And I hear these phrases all the time that basically mean, um, you know, I've given into this reality that doesn't allow me to live life to the fullest. And growing up, if there was one person who did not allow me to, to live life to the fullest, it was my sister, all right? My sister absolutely did not. How many, how many of you guys are younger siblings? Yeah? All right, my people, all right? So... There's, you guys know, there's two types of older siblings, right? They're the older siblings that, like, are great, right? They, like, take care of you. They mentor you. They protect you, you know, give you advice or whatever. And then, and then they're the siblings who are sent by Satan himself <laughs> to make your life miserable, all right? And unfortunately, my sister was one of those growing up, all right? That's who my sister was, and she would mess with me all the time. Like, growing up, there was this rule in my house, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, my parents had this rule for me. Isai, you can never hit your sister. As a boy, you can never hit your sister. Whatever you do, whatever, just, that's the greatest rule of all. Never hit your sister for no reason, 
right? Um, and my sister, being the evil person that she is, she knew that rule. And she would take advantage of that because she knew, like, I couldn't hit her back because that was the rule. Um, and so one time we were playing and we were, we got in some sort of argument and, and it started getting physical and she went for a hit to the face, like, violent, right? You see what I mean? <laughs> um, and so naturally, what I'm going to do is, like, I'm going to block myself, right? Like, nobody's just going to sit here and just get socked in the face, right? <laughs> So I, I block myself, because that's what your body does. I block myself, and she hits my hand right here. And she hit me pretty hard. It didn't hurt me, but apparently she hit me so hard that it hurt her. And so she started crying. Like, she started this, like, low-pitched cry that ends up going high. You know what I'm talking about? Like, she started going higher, you know? You know what I mean? Those who have kids know what I'm talking about. And instantly, my mom runs into the room, right? Isai, ¿qué le estás haciendo tu hermana? What are you doing to your sister? I'm like, I didn't do anything before I can explain. I got myself in trouble. It was terrible. And I went to my mom later. I'm like, Mom, this is what happened. You, this is not okay. I'm getting in trouble for no reason. I say, this isn't fair. And then she gave me one of those those phrases, she says, Isai, life isn't fair. Heard that one before? If you heard that one before, say, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be honest this morning. Yeah, these phrases, right, that this is just how things are. This is how life is, right? I hear these phrases of hopelessness all the time. I heard it when I was trying my best to to not hear any spoilers for Avengers Endgame. Um, so if you, if you haven't watched it and you're here this morning, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil anything because it's a big deal. Like, I understand it. I remember, you know, 2008 being 13, 14 years old and watching Iron Man 1, you know? Amazing movie. Like, I fell in love with this guy in this movie. It was, it was so good. And for the next 10 years, for this next decade, right, we're following this franchise and these movies start coming out. So, so they've played a big role in my life. If you guys know what I'm talking about, anybody? Some of you guys know. Know what's up. It's a big deal. So when Avengers Endgame comes out, it's like, yo, I cannot hear any spoilers. I mean, this is the end of a decade, right, of watching these movies. And so I get off of social media completely. I'm done. I'm not listening to anything. Uh, anytime anybody starts talking about Avengers Endgame because they've seen it already, I'm like, get out. You need to leave right now. This is a real thing. We made an announcement in the youth to high school and junior high. We made an announcement. It was serious. Like, you guys, this is a spoil-free zone. Nobody can, this is real because it's a really big deal. And I thought as long as I sit in my seat, as long as I make it to my seat, then I'm good, you know. So a week and a half passed and we go and we watch Captain Marvel because apparently had to watch it. And then we, we got the um, tickets and we went to go watch uh, Avengers Endgame, right. And I hear people like coming out of the movie theater. And I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. I'm not hearing anything. You know, I went with, uh, with Val, Hazel, Josh, and we sat there. And we, I made it. I made it to my seat. I sit down and it's all good. I made it. Yes. I have no idea what's going to happen in this movie. Five minutes into the movie, the craziest thing happens. These random girls run into the movie theater and yell out the biggest spoiler in the movie. Like the one spoiler. Terrible. Just Dude, we were broken, right? We sat and, and our heads went down like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, we tried to make it through the movie, but we know, we knew it was going to happen. 
And I was so bummed going out of there. And this was like a real conversation we were having. Josh, he sings here sometimes. He turns to me and he says, bro, I think those girls should go to jail. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, they should go to jail. There should be some sort of punishment. Messed up, right? Terrible. Just a decade ruined. And I remember telling my friend about this, like, hey, dude, this is what happened. This terrible thing that happened to me. And then he gave me some of those phrases. Dude, that's just how things are, bro. That's how people are, you know? That's why I read all the spoilers before I go to any movie. <laughs> are you kidding me? Is that the way? These phrases, right? These phrases we say sometimes, these phrases of low-key hope, hopelessness, right? That basically mean we have given in to our current reality. It basically says this reality that we have, it's not changing. It's here to stay. And today we're going to talk about this character. His name is Zachariah. And he's living in this space right now. He can't believe, he doesn't believe that his current reality can change at all. And we find his story in Luke chapter 1. And maybe you've heard the story, the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. It's beautiful. And if you haven't, we're, we're going to go over it again. So Zechariah is a priest, and he's married to this lady. Her name is Elizabeth. Um, and the author wants us to know right off the bat that they are good people. They're really good people. Uh, Luke 1, chap uh, verse 6 says, Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. So Zechariah and Elizabeth could not have any children. And this was a difficult situation. Uh, one, because that's a s difficult situation as it is. But two, society at the time saw a couple's inability to have children as a sign that God was punishing them. And this was especially hard on Elizabeth because at the time, again, society saw childbirth as a primary role for, for women. So they struggled through this. They were, they were looked down upon. Um, they were living in some sort of shame, and that just added to the problem itself. Just imagine, you know, Zachariah and Elizabeth, newlyweds, dreaming of one day having a child. But as time began to go on, and as the years starting to pass, their current reality began to sink in. This reality of, of emptiness and unfulfilled hopes. So all of a sudden, this crazy thing happens. Uh, Zachariah, being a priest, he's asked to go offer incense at the temple. And this is a really big deal because back in the day, there were 18,000 priests that were qualified to do this duty. Um, so you could only do this once in your lifetime, and it was all up to chance. And out of nowhere, Zachariah gets chosen. And he goes, it's a big deal, he goes to offer incense as a temple, at the temple. Um, and all of a sudden, this angel of the Lord appears. A messenger from God appears. And naturally... Zechariah freaks out, right? Verse 13, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is big news. You would think that Zechariah would be super stoked, right? He's excited about this news, but instead, Zechariah can't believe it. He's like, no, he tells the angel. How is that supposed to happen? There's no way. We are already old. That can't happen. He doesn't believe the angel's message. And because he doesn't believe that, he ends up going mute. Now, if you think about it, Zachariah's unbelief makes, makes some sense, right? It makes sense why Zachariah would be like, no, that doesn't, that's not going to happen. It makes sense for him to think that because 
He had been waiting for years. It had been that way for, for years. He wasn't going to just keep on waiting for, for this, this miraculous thing to happen. So he gave in. He accepted his current reality. He didn't like it. He, it was wrong, but that's just how things were. I guess for them, life wasn't fair. And he gave in to this reality. But the angel's promise became true, right? He ended up having a son. Now, some of you guys are, are here today wondering if any of this is even, like, relevant to your life. Maybe you've come here today thinking, like, I don't know about this whole church thing, or I come here, but I don't know about how, like, the Bible has anything to do with my life. Maybe you're asking yourself that, those questions, and if you are, that's okay. Like, this is a good place for you, and we, we love you, and we want to work through and walk you through those questions. Um, but I want to encourage you to do one thing. I encourage you to read the book of Luke, all right? The book of Luke is fire, man. Just on your own time, read the book of Luke. It's so good. I love the book of Luke and its perspective on Jesus. What you'll find is that this uh, act of, of healing and bringing hope is carried out by Jesus himself in the entire book, right? In, in, in the entire gospel. Jesus is always bringing hope and healing to those who are pushed away from society, to those who are marginalized, to those who are looked down upon, to those who society has seen as cursed. And he actually begins to change society itself and to dismantle that social hierarchy. And we believe here that Jesus continues to do that today. Jesus still brings hope and healing to those who are marginalized, to those who are pushed away from society, to those who society looks down upon. He still that, does that to this day, and he invites us to join in this process of bringing hope and healing to those people. And just like he did, he calls us to notice the people who are marginalized and love them well. So maybe you're, you're he, sitting here today, um, and you're feeling a little bit of that, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're feeling a sense of maybe shame and guilt. Maybe you've done something that you're not proud of. Or maybe your family, your, your community, your coworkers, they labeled you as something. Or maybe, like Elizabeth and Zachariah, you are living with this, with this emptiness inside, right? Craving to experience the fullness of life. Maybe that's you today. If that's you, I pray that you may experience the hope and healing that Jesus can bring. I believe that he can bring that to your life. So, Zechariah's hope was restored, right? He had a son, and now he can't contain his joy inside of him. And the, the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so right then and there, he began to prophesy. And he says these words in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestors Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, he's talking to his son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you, 
will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. Amazing prophecy that he tells. He's talking about, he's looking at the past and, and talking about how God has been there, right? Maybe you guys can look at your past, look at your life and notice God has been there all along. And Zachariah sees it. God has always been there and God will continue to be there. And then Zachariah says some of the most hope-filled words in the entire Bible. You ready for this? It's so good. Verse 78, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's beautiful. I'm going to read it one more time. It's so good. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah now gets it. He's able to see the big picture. He's able to see that God has always been about restoration. He's always been in the business of restoration. God has always been about bringing what's dead back to life. God has always been about filling the emptiness, about bringing light to the darkness. God has always been about it. From the very beginning in Genesis, we see darkness and emptiness. And God looks at that and says, there could be something there. There could be something beautiful there. And says, let there be light. And everything is changed forever. And fast forward to the first century, we see a society that is dominated by the Roman Empire, right? That is subject to the demands of a tyrant. Emperor Tiberius is God, and that is all there is. The empire is all-powerful, and people are living in darkness under the shadow of the oppressive Roman Empire. That is all there is. There's nothing else. And out of nowhere, this Jewish rabbi comes in and starts saying these crazy things about, hey, there's more to life than just this. There's more. He says things like, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's crazy. And John later, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus would later be, be sentenced to death and crucified in an attempt to prove that this is all there is. There's nothing more. We're here to be born to supply the demands of the current establishment and die. That is it. But nobody could have imagined what happened three days later, that Jesus would raise from the dead, defeat death, and by doing so, he would change the trajectory of the world forever. God has always been in the business of restoration. Always done that. One of my favorite theologians, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he's this, he's this German Guy, he was a pastor, an ethicist, a professor, a Lutheran guy, and uh, he openly uh, was against uh, the Nazis. And he one time he went on the radio and publicly denounced Hitler, and he was taken off the radio before he could even finish. He ended up going to teach at several different places here in the U.S., um, but after a while decided to go back to Germany and join the resistance movement. And in 1943 right after he was engaged to be married, he uh, was captured by the Nazis and was eventually sentenced to death. And people say that his last words as he was being taken out to die um, were, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. This hopeful man, he wrote a lot, and, and one of his writings says this about resurrection. It's so good. He says this, the dead Jesus Christ of Good Friday and the resurrected Lord 
of Easter Sunday. This is creation out of nothingness. Creation from the beginning. The fact that Christ was dead did not mean the possibility of his resurrection. It meant the impossibility. It was nothingness itself. There was absolutely no transition, no continuum between the dead and the resurrected Christ other than the freedom of God which created his work from nothingness in the beginning. He who is the beginning lives annihilates the nothingness and creates the new creation in his resurrection. From his resurrection, we know about the creation. For if he was not raised, the, creation, the creator would be dead and would not bear witness to himself. From his creation, however, we know once again about the power of his resurrection because he remains the Lord of the nothingness. Come on. The Lord of the nothingness, Zachariah understood this. Zachariah got a glimpse of the Lord of the nothingness. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. If we believe this truth about God, if we actually believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then we must live within this reality. We must live as though God is resurrecting everything. So when I was younger, um, I was really afraid of the dark. All right? I was really, really scared. A lot of you guys too. Maybe won't admit it, but I was afraid of the dark. I was one of those kids that, um, that would like lay down and there was a, like I would get really thirsty all of a sudden, right? I would lay down and just like every time I would want to drink water. And so I had to go into the abyss of the kitchen. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, and I would go and run to the kitchen, turn on the light, right? Oh, I'm safe. And I would get water, drink water, do my thing. Um, and then it was the worst, right? The trip back to your room. <laughs> so I would put one hand on the light I would turn it off and just book it to my room, you know, because I was sure some sort of monster demon thing was like right behind me. If you guys have ever done this, say, mm-hmm, thank you, I'm not alone. I was afraid, terrified of the dark. I was terrified. And another thing that I struggled with growing up, and this, this is absolutely real, um, I struggled with anxiety, uh, a lot of anxiety. I would get panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and they would always manifest themselves at night. Um, and, you know, I know everybody's different and everybody um, has experienced this in a different way. But if you've ever been through something like that, you know, like, like those times, it feels like you want to die. Like, it feels like you're going to die, you know. And I could honestly say those were some of the worst times in my life. I remember being, like, late elementary school and junior high, going through this, um, going through these anxiety attacks at night. And my my dad would work nights a lot, and so my, uh, my mom and I were the ones who wrestled through these. And, and they would hit me hard, and my mom would try her best to try to get me out of that space of anxiety. I felt like the world was ending, and she would try to, like, distract me. Hey, try playing the piano. I would play the piano, play guitar. Um, I would read texts. My mom would read me texts. Uh, we would dance, just anything to get me out of that space. But sometimes... The darkness was too much. And I just, I wasn't able to get out of that space. Um, and when nights would get really, really tough, my mom would just be like, Isaiah, just, just come to bed with me. And I remember crawling into my mom's bed 
and just trying to fall asleep in her arms, but I'd just be weeping for hours, and my mom would be there trying to comfort me, weeping with me. Those were tough nights. And I remember when things would get really tough, like the, the worst nights, my mom would just say something like, Isai, like, it's going to be morning soon. Don't worry. It's going to be morning soon. You see that window? There's going to be light through that soon. And sometimes we made it through this pain and we made it through this darkness by believing that morning was coming soon. By believing that light was going to come through those windows. And if we're being honest with ourselves, sometimes we look at our own life and it's hard to believe that nothing that, that things will get better. It's hard to believe that our life could possibly get better. We look at our lives and, and maybe every day you experience the same ridiculous amount of stress over and over again. Maybe you go into the day feeling like you have to live up to somebody else's expectations for you. Or even worse, maybe you feel like you can't even live up to you, the expectations you have for yourself. Maybe every conversation with a family member makes it feel like a good relationship with them is completely impossible. Maybe a, a parent, a child, a sibling. Or maybe you have this voice in your head that tells you over and over again that you are not good enough, that you will never be good enough. And every time that voice comes into your mind, this image of you actually being happy with who you are feels completely out of reach. And when we look at the world around us, it's easy to believe that nothing will ever get better. It's hard to believe in something better. Every, every tragedy, this idea of a better world seems farther and farther away. With every act of hatred, we become a little bit more numb to the pain that our society is going through. Every time there's a mass shooting in our country, we normalize it a little bit more. We say things like, Republicans, Democrats, they'll never be able to get along. We'll never be able to come together and solve the greatest issues of our generation. We'll never know what to do with this immigration crisis. We'll never be able to solve homelessness or world poverty or racism and misogyny this is how things are this is how things are going to be and maybe you have fallen into the trap of believing these things of believing that nothing will ever get better but I hope you know today friends that dawn is coming dawn is coming we must believe in the light we must stay hopeful because it's in being hopeful that we build this future that our hearts are so longing for i'm not asking you to be naive about the world's problems we're not being called to walk around as as though everything's perfect like there's nothing going on but we're called to live as though Jesus actually raised from the dead and lean into that resurrection power of Christ and join into that movement of God. Of, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> we must lean into that movement of God in this world. We must lean. I don't want to be a part of a religion that is motivated by fear. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Maybe you grew up the same way. Maybe you have this anxiety towards the future, this fear towards the future. I'm done with that. I don't want to be a part of, of a religion that is motivated by fear. I want to be a part of a movement that is pushing back the darkness in the name of Jesus. We need to be that people. That's who we have to be. And when people come into these doors with their pain, with their suffering, with the darkness in their life, they need to get a glimpse of the light. They need to, to get a little bit of hope. We all have to be people of a hope so that when we go out into the darkness, we do that knowing full well that there is light. This is how we push back the darkness. We must stay hopeful. We must keep the faith. And 
maybe you're here today and you are experiencing that darkness in your life. Maybe you're here today and you just don't feel like you can get out. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's relationship issues. Maybe it's path in life. You don't know where you're going. Whatever it may be, maybe you are in this darkness. And if you are there today, I say keep the faith. Stay strong. Believe in the light. Because dawn is coming. Dawn is coming. This is my hope for you. In the midst of the darkness, may you believe in the light. May you experience the fullness of life that Christ has for you. And may the peace of God be with you always. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe. We believe in you and we believe that light is coming. We hold on to that promise. The darkness in our life is so real sometimes and it's hard to look outside of that. But we lean into that promise, Lord. We lean into that hope. Allow us to stay hopeful. And allow us to be people of hope, not people of fear. Not not people of anxiety towards the future, but people of hope. That together we we can come and, and push back the darkness in your name. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing community. And may we always see the light. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.